am Nancy Lynn Westfield, Director of the Wabash Center. Welcome to Dialogue on Teaching, a Silhouette Interview. The Silhouette Conversations are sparked from a list of standardized questions. We have the good fortune to hear firsthand from teaching exemplars about their teaching and teaching life. Today, our Silhouette guest is Reverend Dr. Ralph Watkins. Dr. Watkins is the Peachtree Professor of Evangelism and Church Growth, Columbia Theological Seminary. He is the scholar with a camera. Welcome, Ralph, to the conversation. Thank you so much for being there. Thanks for having me. So say your say your brand again, because I love your brand. I don't think Ralph I said it well enough. Watkins, the scholar with a camera. The scholar with a camera. So I love that you have branded that for yourself. And I love that it is provocative saying that scholars have other equipment other than books. <laughs> yes, we do. Yes, we so do. we're not against books, but we're also right. in favor of other tools of scholarship. So thank you for being here for this conversation. Let's get started. Okay, question number one. When you were a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? I wanted to be a lawyer. I wanted to be a lawyer. My, my idol was Thurgood Marshall and that whole kind of role towards how we achieve justice through civil rights via the courts. And raised by a mother who was reactive in the comedian and politician, she introduced me to that model of leadership. And one of her best friends was the local judge and an African-American civil rights photographer in the Orlando Eatonville area. So when I was a kid, up, up until my um, years in college, I wanted to be a lawyer. So wait, so the friend was a judge and photographer? No, he was a judge and civil rights lawyer. Lawyer, okay, because uh -huh. no, you said lawyer. photographer. So I'm sorry, photography was I on slipped. your mind. Okay. Yeah, that's a yep, photographic yep, slip. Yep. I meant lawyer. Yeah, yep. okay, okay, that makes sense. So so always justice-minded, even from childhood. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's how I was raised, you know, raised as, a, raised as a kid that came up during the era of the Black Panther movement, and my mother was a part of that. That's what I saw, right, that that our role and goal was to fight for justice. My grandfather was an AME preacher, and so I saw that in both ways in my life, one with my grandfather and his work and my mother with her work, um, have always impressed upon me the need and the work of, um, of justice. That's nice. Who was proud of you when you became a teacher? I would say my wife probably the most. My wife's a principal and she's an educator as well. And so um, when I was in when I was in uh, grad school, I was pastoring and doing my PhD at the same time and struggling with a sense of call and really felt my passion was teaching. So passion tells you kind of, you know, um, what you're led to do within the where of that. And um, as I was working through my PhD program at the University of Pittsburgh and I was teaching as a part of my um, fellowship, I fell in love with teaching. And my wife, I believe, was the first one really celebrated that and embraced that because it was a move away from the trajectory I was on, which was to be this kind of pastor of this large, you know, center city, justice-oriented church. So to divorce myself from that call and to accept this call, she was the first one to say, hey, I, I support you, I encourage you, and I celebrate that, and I recognize that. Who has influenced your teaching for the better? It's been bell hooks more than anyone. Um, oh. The writings of bell hooks across the board, mm -hmm. especially teaching the transgress, formed me the most. Um, bell hooks' mm -hmm. legacy of a creative has spoke to me at every stage in my journey. And I go back to her works over and over again and how she sees the classroom space, how she sees the creative life, the life of the mind. And that's encouraging both as a, as a teacher and also how my teaching is connected to that which I create in, for, in terms of bodies of work. I love the fact that you can see her philosophies and pedagogies shift and change in the arc of her writing. 
Yeah. Right. I just it's, it is just astounding to me. So, I mean, um, Bell Hooks for so many of us has been so uh, formational as well as inspirational. Yeah. Right. So um, what has surprised you about teaching or the teaching life? The beauty and breadth of being able to recreate oneself that you're not stuck, no matter what your degree is in or what you what you were degreed as a sociology professor, so to speak, that there's freedom to create yourself, there's breadth, there's depth, that you're always learning, right? That I think the beauty that I, I love about that I have learned that if you're able, if you're willing to engage new resources, new ways of being teaching, um, it actually renews you. It's a challenge, but it's ever renewing. And when I was coming through school, I saw professors who were lecturing from notes that were yellow and tattered, and they had used those same notes, classes before, using the same old books. And I said, this, this must be a boring life. But what I've been surprised about, there's nothing boring about it. Um, if you always challenge yourself to engage new resources and to grow with your students, because I think what I've also learned in Mr. Price about each group of students brings something new that it's not so much that I'm teaching is that I'm co-learning with my students. Mm -hmm. And in those environments, there's transformation, renewal, resurrection, energy, life, challenge, um, transformation, and it's a continual journey, right? It never stops. And so I've embraced that evolution of teaching um, and the challenge and the work it takes to continue to be new and fresh while not forgetting what I have been. So you, you have the same philosophy with your own self about this evolution thing. You went back and got a master's of fine arts mm -hmm. um, on top of the PhD and the other degrees toward right. the PhD. Right. Talk about how you made the decision to get a master's of fine arts in your own evolution. Yeah, I, I, so I think it's, it's interesting. When I when I when I researched this back, I've always played with photography and videography. So I was going through tons of workshops doing this work. I was convinced with the students who were coming before me as I was a journey in my career, they were much more visual. So I started using a lot of visual resources in my courses. If it was videos, if it was music videos, if I was trying to make movies or um, um, or use still images, and so I began to realize that while I was playing with this. To be what I wanted to be for my students and for myself, I needed to learn this. And the way I learn is in those structured experiences, right? Um, that's why I did the DMN and the PhD and the MFA. So I felt to serve my students and my sense of call, I had to go back to school in my mid to late 50s, which is mm -hmm. difficult, right? Got my got my PhD in 97, 98, got my MFA in 2016, right? So like 35 and 55 when I got those pieces of paper. But I felt a need to be the kind of teacher I wanted to be. I had to be more visual. And I also was moving towards becoming an art-based researcher and an art-based teacher. And so I had to understand art, the history of art, right? I had to understand that for me to feel that I could appropriately share with my students. So it was that sense of calm and commitment and evolution. And I believe that a key part of my teaching philosophy is putting myself in uncomfortable situations and working through them. I think comfort is the enemy of innovation. I think discomfort is the mother of innovation. So I embrace discomfort and growth. And so to be the kind of professor I want to be at this end of my career, how do I retrain, literally retrain my brain and myself to be that kind of professor? So three years, toughest degree of my life, because getting a PhD and an MFA are two completely different animals, right? Mm -hmm. MFA goes inside, it's a creative expression. It's not, I can write a paper and get an A any day. That's not what MFA work is about. It's about your creative spirit. And so it unleashed a new part of me. And that's what I wanted. I wanted to be reborn. I wanted to be recreated. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be regenerated, but it takes work. 
And I embraced that work. I embraced every iota of that discomfort because I knew the kind of professor and creative I wanted to be at this part of my journey. So I fully embraced it. And that's why I did it. Next question. What is a favorite nickname by which you were called by a loved one? I'm called Burpee by my family. Uh, as a kid, I was allergic to um, baby formula. And so my family and my friends know me as Burpee. When I was in high school running for student council president, uh, vice president, uh, they had to put on the ballot Ralph Burpee Watkins because no one knew me as Ralph. Um, and so whenever I ran for anything in school, they had to put Burpee on the ballot. So I love when people refer to me as Burpee. My good friends call me Burpee and not Ralph. I <laughs> never knew that Burpee. <laughs> Burpee. <laughs> <laughs> What profession other than teaching, right? You've spoken to this already. What profession other than teaching would you like to attempt? Well, I, I think for me, I don't know if it's an other than, I think in addition to, it's these creative works, right? Because I see my documentary work, my television work, my photography. It's not a part from, but a part of. And so I think, I think, I think for me, it's more of an expansive way of thinking about what it means to be a, a public intellectual or as, or as Bell Hooks would call it, an insurgent black intellectual, what it means to be that. And, you know, when I look at when Cornell West started doing rap albums and people are like, what is he doing, right? That's how I see it. So I can see and see myself expand to those, those stereotypically creative genres that we might define. In fact, I think all of these are creative, but those more ways in which I express myself through video, documentary work, um, photography, and moving more into that frame. So, but so many of your facets are just so vivid. Like other people will play at different facets of their life, their career, their profession. But each of the facets that you have explored, you have expanded. Um, I mean, I, I'm thinking about literal facets like facets of a diamond or facets of a gemstone, right? It's, I mean, there's there's a literal brilliance yeah. about the way you have um, gone about your call that is just amazing to me. Do you enjoy writing in longhand? And if so, what is your preference of ink pen or writing utensil? Oh, okay. I use a remarkable two. It's a um, it's an ink pad that reflects paper, right? So um, it's like you're writing on it, and it feels like paper, and it's analog. So you don't you can't go online, you can't go to Amazon, you can't go to Facebook, you can't go to Twitter. You're stuck there. Um, but you also they can export those notes to Dropbox or have you then use them there. So I use that a lot in terms of my initial creative process. Fascinating. What's your superpower? Hmm. I think my superpower is love. Because um, for me, I love my students. I love teaching. I love being challenged by new ideas. I love the challenge of creating new works, not knowing where they're going. I love learning. Um, I love being in community with colleagues who are innovative and challenging and creative and not afraid to take chance. I love failures. I think there's no success without failure. I love trying what I know I can't do, but then I find out I actually can do it in different kinds of way. But I think at the center of that, it's, it's, it's this love, right? So I think for me, when Bell Hooks talks about the classroom being an erotic space, she means it's a space of love. Right. And I love my students. I love I love the things we engage. I love the books we read, the videos we watch, the music that we listen to, the conversations we have. And I think that's a super because I think love is transformative. Love is healing. Love is salvific. Um, love is holistic. 
And I think love makes you better as a human, right? God is love. So to me, it's love, right? I, I love my students, even the ones that don't like me. <laughs> I still love them, right? And that makes me be able to teach them, right? And to deal with them and understand their pain, their hurts, and their traumas. Um, but I, I think my superpower is love. And I think that love comes from the God who I believe saved me in my kind of theology, right? That God is love. And I think that those of us who claim to be in some kind of relation with that God, I think that's the power that we inherit from God. It's, it's that the power to love. So Belle talks about eroticism uh, because she doesn't want to surrender things like intimacy and passion to places other than the classroom, that the classroom should be places of passion, like you are expressing, should be places of intimacy, like you're expressing, and that there's nothing wrong with that, right? You're not, we're not talking about crossing sexual boundaries (laughs) or, you know, sexualizing the classroom. That's the farthest thing from what you and Bell Hooks are talking about. They're talking about the intimacy that comes in connection and relationship and being passionate together. Yeah, there's a book by James Tompkins. It's called What I Learned in School. And James Tompkins argues that she learned most from the professors who were passionate about their subject matter, right? Because I, I think passion is so critical, and that's so critical to me, which is linked to that superpower um, of love. What's your favorite cuss word? My favorite cuss word? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's motherfucker here. <laughs> I love the word motherfucker. Uh, I love it. I say, matter of fact, I was in class the other day and we said, we're doing something in this, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a second week of classes. And oh, so we're actually, I'm teaching a class called Photography, Social Media, and Social Justice. And so I started the class with the Emmett Till story and Mamie Till's brilliance in those photos. And I, I let a, I let a MF, I dropped the MF bomb, you know, and this, 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 I'm so sorry, but you all got to get used to this, you know, just to give me some place. That's my, that's my favorite one. <laughs> that works, that works. How have you survived certain violences in teaching? I've always said to me that my, my saving grace has been my connection with the larger Black community, specifically the Black church. For me, uh, being a cisgender heterosexual male, that's, that's, I've uh, been blessed with a lot of privilege in the church and accepted in the church. It's been a place that on Sunday mornings, folks just love me. So all the hell I catch in the academy, um, what happens is on Sunday, you know, uh, someone said, baby, how you doing? Um, brother, how you doing? Doc, how you doing? And those loves, uh, those that love, those hugs, those handshakes, those sitting in pews or preaching from pulpits or teaching Sunday school or Bible study, it's been my saving grace and kept me whole and allow me to embrace the identity of being an African-American, an African-American, an African-American um, teaching scholar creative. Sanctuary is real, right? Yeah, it really is. And it's been for me, and once again, I, I want to name that privilege for me though too, though being who I am, um, married who I'm married to, it's been that place for us. And so that's what it's been for me, yes. What healings have you witnessed or received in teaching or in the teaching life? The healing and witness I receive is, is almost semester by semester. Um, I start off with my students asking them what type of experience do they want this to be. We talk about experience. And I think about classes as experiences, as transformative experiences, 14, 16 week experiences. And I've, I've not come out of one semester where something healing, wholeness has not occurred between me and my students. Um, in class I'm teaching right now, we're in industrial Christian leadership. We're reading Leslie Copeland's book, Introduction to Christian Leadership, and where we just watched the movie Harriet. Um, and I watched the movie several times with my students, but to watch it again, and Leslie opens her book up talking about Harriet and the movie Harriet, something happened to me. And I'm sure my students, as I was reading my students' work this morning, um, I can see 
these healing transformation experiences occurring as the class begins. And I know in the end of 16 weeks, they're different. And I see this every single semester, you know, there's a healing, there's a hurt, there's a pain, there's a trauma, there's a love that's expressed, um, there's a heart that's touched um, in those experiences. So I see this every single semester. What have you enjoyed most about the teaching life? Students, students. I mean, I, I can't tell you the joy um, of um, seeing students grow. The joy of students come by office. And let me talk about this right here. Um, I was thinking about, and we're sitting talking, I'm pulling books off the shelf or recommending this DVD or this CD or this song or this book of poetry. And for them to come back and say, Man, I really appreciate that doc. You know, it's those moments, many times it's those kind of hallway conversations. Um, they kind of come by your office or those after class conversations or to see us to have an aha moment in class, like, oh, wow, right? Or, you know, you, you, you play a clip and you cut the lights on um, and everybody's crying. You know what I mean? Um, um, that to me is just th those kind of powerful transformative healing moments. Mm -hmm. yeah. the, the priv this is what I hear you saying, the privilege of meeting students' curiosity. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Is, is there something holy about yeah. those moments? Yeah, to hear them and respond to them, right? I've always said to them that when I read you every week, we have turn assignments every week, and I read them and I'm responding, right? To see that dialogue going on, that relationship being built, right? That I can sense what they need. They can, I can hear them and feel them, right? That's healing and whole to me. It's sacred, it's holy, right? Um, and that's a weekly experience. Last question. Mm -hmm. At the conclusion of your teaching career, not now, but right. years and years from now, what miracles will you have performed? You know, when, when I look at the life of Jesus and the women and men that he walked with, at the end of his journey, it's interesting to me that he, Jesus does not birth what we now call the Christian faith. It was those women and men that he had walked with who birthed the faith. It says in the book of Acts, you know, the women and men were in the room when they birthed this thing called the church. They were unleashed to be who God had uniquely crafted and created and called them to be. At the end of my career, my prayer is that those students that I've had the privilege of doing life together with, of walking from journey with, they're ready to birth something that I can't birth, that I wasn't called to birth, but they were called to birth, and they're equipped to do that. And to see them flourish in this sense of call, sense of being, sense of identity, if I can see that at the end of my career with the hundreds of students I've had the uh, privilege of journeying with, that's the joy of it all, right? I mean, the greatest joy is to see a student AAR or see a student um, online or somewhere and they say, wow, you know, Doc, I just want to thank you for, we read Octavia Butler. I mean, when we read, uh, Doc, when we read, uh, when we watched such and such, Doc, went to, Doc that changed my life. Mm -hmm. You know, it's that. that. That to me is the greatest joy in the world um, is when a student says something we did together along the journey, along the way, something happened that somehow in that experience, they experienced who they were uniquely crafted, created and called to be. And they unearth it and they live into that. And to see them living into that, right, over and over again. So at the end of my career, I'm praying that those students who I've been privileged to journey with, I can just see them, that I can see them in my own spirit, in my mind, and recall their names, their faces. And when I first met them and they said, Dog, I don't know if you took this class. This is a lot of work, right? You know, you know, first class, first class. It's a lot of work, right? <laughs> 
but they but then they end up staying in there and they say you know like i want to appreciate this was this was good you know um so if, at the end of it all um some student can say doc this was good um i'll be pleased i'll be happy and i'll be thankful because that's all i'm trying to do i just pray to god that the ministry that god's given me the privilege to share with the students that i've been called to serve that somehow it makes a positive difference in the lives of those that i'm privileged to do life with in classrooms and hallways and 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 and, and um, on, on on the lawns and these institutions we've been called to serve and in the community that we've been called to connect with. So that's that would be my hope, my goal, and my prayer. The scholar with a camera, that's my me. colleague and my friend. In many cases, my conspirator. Thank you, Ralph. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Westville. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. This conversation to our listeners. The Wabash Center website is the place. Look on our website for details concerning our cohort experiences like our workshops, colloquies, and roundtables. Also look to our website for information on our educational resources, our blogs, our syllabus collection, our journal on teaching, and also information on our website for our regranting program. A special thanks to sound engineer, Dr. Paul Myrie, and podcast producer, Rachel Mills. The music which frames the Silhouette podcast is the original composition of Dr. Paul Myrie. Wabash Center for more than 28 years is exclusively funded by Lilly Endowment Incorporated. And we are out. How was that, Paul? Mm-hmm.